and say good morning. I'm. We came for to visit uh, Ben and Lisa and our grandchildren, and so sometimes you take whatever comes along with those visits. I'm going to preach a message that one that I have done before, and so the title of it is. Uh, lessons from the kitchen table. Now, this won't be a, a deep theological sermon or anything of that nature, but more of a practical nature. And I believe we are all familiar with a kitchen table and what all transpires around that. So I would like to draw some lessons from um, our experiences that we have had around our kitchen table and the challenges that it can um, uh, extend to us. So I want to begin with Exodus chapter 25 and read a few verses from Exodus chapter 25. As we think of the tabernacle in the Old Testament and how they worship God, the priests and and they went into the Holy of Holies and all the rituals that went into that. And along with all those things that was used in that worship experience was a table. And it was there for a, a purpose. And the table that we use in our experience at our home is about 45 years old. We had the table made soon after we were married. And it's in still in use today. But here in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 23, it reads this way. Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof. And a cubic <clears throat> shall be the breadth thereof. And a cubic and a half the height thereof. <clears throat> so this gives a description how they were to make uh, this table that was used in the Old Testament times. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> I don't know if you ever measured a kitchen table as far as the height of it, but if you take a, a, a tape measure or a, and measure the height of it, it would be right around 30 inches high. And here in this table, <clears throat> uh, it, it gives the, the length or the height of it. And I think if you calculate, it would be about 27 inches high. So this table was just a little bit uh, less height than what we are used to here this morning. But this table, it was for a purpose. And it was associated with, with worship. And within this tabernacle, uh, in the, before the Holy Holies, they, is where God met his people in the Holy Holies. But this table was used before that time. In verse 22, it reads this way, And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I shall give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. And so here he is saying that this is where he will um, meet with them. Now it's talking about the, the Holy of Holies, but this table was involved with that. Now I want to read with... Um, Starting to read uh, verse 23 and uh, begin here at verse 24. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold and make thereto 
a crown of gold round about. Now, I would have been interested to see this table made of pure gold, but we had a table like that one time. There's gold around it. It says, uh, it says make a pure gold, there too a crown of gold round about. Now, at one time, our table was lined with children the whole way around. And I considered them because they, they were gold. And, and soon enough, all that gold go away as, as time moved on. But here in verse 25, And thou shalt make unto it a border of a hand breadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. And thou shalt make it for four rings of gold, and put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof, over against the border shall the rings be for places of the staves to bear the table. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold, that the table may be borne with them. And thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and the spoons thereof, and the covers thereof, and the bowls thereof, to cover withal. A pure gold shalt thou make them. And thou shalt set them upon the table, share bread before me always. Here we find all these useful things that was used. I thought it was interesting here in verse um, verse 29. It talks about the spoons and, and the bowls and everything else that we are familiar with today that was used, uh, as especially as we think about uh, talking about the kitchen table. Now, this table in this Old Testament time, it was used for uh, keeping the golden... The golden candlestick was lamps uh, stand was there, and it, it was I think in a different place. But in verse thirty here, it does say, "Thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me." So upon this table, in the Old Testament was showbread, and that was it's an interesting thing. Now I want to turn to Leviticus chapter twenty-four, as we think this table and upon it was the showbread. So in Leviticus chapter 24, and verse 5. And thou shalt take fine flour, and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two tenths deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in row, two rows, six on a row, and upon the pure table before the Lord. And um, So... Upon this table was the showbread. There was uh, 12 uh, cakes, it says here in verse 5. Uh, 12 cakes thereof, two-tenths deal should be in one cake. And uh, They were set on rows, uh, two rows, six in a row, upon this pure table before the Lord. And so this was a very useful uh, piece. And so there was 12 loaves of bread that was upon this table. And then we know there's 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And they were all equal. And as I thought about that, the children being around our tables, uh, they are all equal, are they not? Even though some may be have different gifts, some may have different intellect, some may have different uh, abilities. Uh, some of our children um, have the ability of doing carving work. Some hardly know how, which end of the screwdriver to hold. Uh, that's exaggerated, but... It's it's uh, but they're not all created equal. Uh, they are are created equal as, as these as we think of the children of Israel. I thought that was uh, 
interesting as, and we should treat them as all being equal, regardless of the, of the attributes that God, each one of them has given to them. I don't know if you remember of the, um, of Mephibosheth. He was a son of uh, Jonathan. And Jordan, the end of his life, or somewhere along the life, David said, what can I do for the house of Saul that I may show kindness unto the house of Saul? And someone suggested to him about Mephibosheth as he was lame at his feet. And so uh, David found out uh, where he lived and he invited him to come. And I think he sat at, at David's table the rest of his life. And there he, he was. He was showing kindness uh, around his table. And now yet, I want to turn to a New Testament passage from the book of Luke before I go into more practical things. But here in the book of Luke chapter 7, I have a reason for reading this passage, starting verse 36. I'm not going to digest the, the passage necessarily, but uh, I want to give the reason why uh, for, for reading this, this passage. Here in chapter 7 and verse 36. And I'll begin reading here. And one of the Pharisees described him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, bought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden, saw him, saw it, uh, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, the one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast judged rightly, or rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thy house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head, and thou gavest me no kiss. And But this woman, since the time I came, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil didst thou not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this, who is that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith have saved thee, go in peace. Now, in verse uh, 49 here it says, And they that sat at meat with him. So they were all sitting around this table. And uh, you notice at the beginning what I read here, the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. So they were around something, uh, a table I, I picture in my mind. Uh, maybe they were in recliners, I'm not sure about that part. But, but this... Uh, Pharisee, 
um, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And so there he talked around the table. It, it, was, it was a teaching session. And as he talked, now how many things did he talk in this passage? Uh, it's it's a uh, it's a different things that that as they sat and, and talked. Well, he taught them about forgiveness. He taught them about anointing. He taught them about forgiveness. He taught them about having faith, and he he taught them about courtesy. And there's uh, many things that that was taught in this principle just by sitting around and eating together. And so is the challenge of us for uh, this morning that as we sit around our tables and and eat, uh, what truths are being taught as we are uh, in our discourse, when we are eating together, when we are uh, talking together. So what then are some lessons that we can learn from our kitchen tables? I found it interesting that as the studied um, or looked at as I think about Indians, um, you know, we think of Indians, we think of the TPs and how they sat, but uh, you don't read much about uh, tables in their settings. It's usually just sitting around and, and um, how, how they ate. I'm not sure exactly about that, but I just found that to be interesting as we thought about. But our kitchen tables, you know, I think we all have kitchen tables in our house. Uh, I think if you, I, in my visits to many different homes over the years, I don't know of anybody, any house I was ever in that really didn't have a kitchen table. As a matter of fact, we have two of them. And sometimes if one table is not enough, we put them together and stretch it out so we can serve more people. But you know, regardless how many tables that we have in our house, the utmost point is if they're there, they need to be used. I mean, what good is a table in your house if it's not used? And I think it's important that we use it in its uh, right uh, context. Now, the, the table is really not a decorative piece. It's not something that we hang up on the wall or that we put on a shelf someplace. But it, it, it's there. It's, 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 um, it, it's not decorative. It's a, it's a useful thing. And again, what good is a table if it's not used? And uh, before, unless I forget to say this, uh, I think the families of our today, we should eat at least one meal a day together. Now, someone had mentioned recently that the, this is becoming a challenge, even in our own uh, Anabaptist circles, because of the, of the lack of um, less farming air that we have. And, you know, uh, one person has a job here, another person has jobs there, and pretty much it becomes, can become an aerobic door. But uh, I think it's important that we still strive to, to make that uh, table time happen as much as possible. And I believe that table time is a time for sharing. I recall once <clears throat> uh, we had a, a boy that had lived in our area uh, from the Bruderhof community. And he took us out there to visit. I think it was south of Pittsburgh, if I'm not mistaken. And I probably wouldn't remember much about it, but as we sat and ate, it was in this large auditorium. And I think it was about 300 people sat in there eating. And people started eating. And it was strange to me because all I heard was just the clacking of spoons. And nobody was saying anything. 
And I thought, well, why aren't these people talking to me? But that was the way they did it. It was just the clacking spoon. Everybody ate, and I guess the next group, I'm not sure how that was. But I, I just thought that was um, um, interesting. And, <clears throat> you know, I believe there probably are some homes that way today, even, that uh, all you hear is the clacking of spoons. There is not much communication. Uh, There's one thing my wife and I, or my wife had to get used to after we were married. She came from a family of five girls, and I was the youngest one in the family, and I was not one to talk a lot. So she had to get used to the clacking of spoons a little bit when we first got married. Well, when children came along, that soon uh, changed the outlook of all that. But but I think it's important that we we, uh, we make use of all these uh, things at our tables. Uh, time for listening, time for communication, time for where we're going, where we are not going, where we're working. And I think it's a time where we can open our lives up and live as our life as open books. Uh, we have nothing, no secrets to, to, uh, to display. We just simply are open and, and, and discuss things of the day or of the week. Now, each person has a place at a table. I don't know when you're around your table, if your children have all have a, a certain place to eat. We, if I recall, we all had our place. We just didn't sit down at the table in any old place we wanted to, but we each had our place. And as I think about that uh, table of many years ago, my older brothers, uh, they did most of the talking around the table. They were, um, uh, how should I say, they... Uh, um, I didn't talk a lot around the table because they, they did it all. Maybe I was the runt of the family. I don't know, but that's just the way it was. But, you know, I still had my place. I still had my place to sit, and, and I was still involved in that that complete circle. And so it, it was a, a togetherness. And it was simply I, I belonged there. And re, there again, regardless of who we may be, uh, I think we, it should create a sense of belongingness. We, we, we have our place. We, we are eating together. It's a bonding effect. Same time, same place, same food, that we're all together in it. And I think that can be a great uh, lesson in compassion and, and whatever else around our table. I view the table time is like a, it's like a keystone state. Now, the Pennsylvania is all, the license plate is a keystone state. And, you know, it's, it's said that way because of the, um, um, all the states around it sort of holding it together. And that's how I view our tables this morning as they're sort of like a keystone. I mean, they, they hold all the pieces of our lives together, uh, together as one. And certainly it does affect other areas in life. And after we leave the table, it affects uh, how we manipulate our, our lives. Well, what we learned at the kitchen table, I think we learned uh, delayed gratification. That we, food is placed on the table, and as we say the grace, and hot food is on the table, and we are waiting and waiting, and we soon discover that the one at the end of the table, he won't starve if he has to wait till the food is passed down, uh, until um, it's passed around, and, um, you know, the uh, we really not 
are not at a McDonald's when they sit around the kitchen table. Uh, instant uh, is the McDonald's style, but uh, around the kitchen table, you learn a delayed gratification. It's, it's simply, uh, we're, we're not uh, 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 pigs or whatever. Your baby just reaches and grabs it as they want, but we, we do it in a, in a formal method, so to speak. And so as we think of this um, delayed gratification, um, I, I, it's probably been said in our home that, you know, mom, hurry up, I'm hungry. What's taking so long? Well, there again, it's a teaching lesson that can be had upon our children that, you know, it's, it's okay to be hungry, it's okay to, to sit and wait, but you have to, uh, all that talk against mother, encouraging her to, uh, why is it taking you so long? Uh, that um, should not be allowed. And I, I remember back, I had some relatives in Ohio. Uh, my dad used to um, deliver chicks out there, and uh, we used to go to my uncle's, great uncle's place for a meal. And I always, we always boys sort of <clears throat> dreaded going there because it always took so long for the lady to make the dinner. Uh, and, but but my uncle, he loved it because he had more time to visit and talk. He liked to talk. And <clears throat> but I, I don't ever remember us being saying, uh, talking to the cook. You know, why? why what's, what's the delay here? That's just the way it was. Well, I think about delayed gratification. I think that also can extend into other areas of our life. Uh, you think of, of delayed, um, um, can extend it to our life in, in, in many other areas in our uh, morality of life. You know, great delayed gratification. It's, everything just isn't instant. Everything has its time and its place. And I believe that table time is a place to, for our children to learn to sit still. And what a better place for them to learn than at the kitchen table. Recently, because of this series of events, I was I, I stopped at the McDonald's for a dinner, and and there was a, a young lady there with her child, and the child was acting up. And I, well, it was almost uh, I felt like uh, preaching a sermon to her, but I didn't. But it was. This little child was just very unruly, uh, talking back to the mother. Of course, the mother was talking back to the child. And uh, I had to wonder, what is that little child learning at home around the kitchen table, if there even was a kitchen table? Well, what was she being taught at home? And I think about that when we all had visited scenes up in the grocery store or wherever, that really what is being taught at home? Uh, that's around the table. We all recognize that children do need a time to romp, to play, to holler and shout. But again, I say, what better place is to learn than to sit around the kitchen table? I don't like to, my wife didn't like me to talk about her when I preach, but I can't resist this one time. And that is when when we had small children, 
I remember her already taking seven children to the grocery store, and they all behaved as she went through the aisles. And, and so I give credit to her in regards to that. But I will say, uh, I won't talk about how many sermons she may have preached to them before she went into the, the uh, grocery store. That's the other side of it, but that, and that's fine. Well, the kitchen table. We had a, an individual that used to come to our place for a meal for uh, once a year, whatever, and he was a special man, but he liked to wear shiny shoes. And our children would sit beside this man, and he was, they learned that you keep your feet underneath your own chair because uh, a witness is ready that if their feet can got on top of his shiny shoes, well, he left them know about it. And so they soon found out that they might got to keep your feet underneath your own table. It's a lesson which they had learned uh, from that man. Well, table time is a teaching time. And there's always challenges in, you know, we're talking about uh, referring to children, but, you know, uh, table time is also a time for for, uh, parents to be challenged. At least I always was, and I'll share one in regards to this. And... When our children were young, we didn't like them to go fishing on Sunday. Uh, just, well, just a home was not a church thing, not a, what, a community thing necessarily, but it was just simply our home thing. And now they have their own homes. They, I'm not sure if they are still hold to that or not. But, but uh, I remember once one of the children saying, "Well, our neighbors down the road they drive horse and buggy." And they, their children, they're allowed to go fishing. How come we're not allowed to go fishing? Well, that's only an example, but you know it can create a a, a um, conversation that that is healthy. Uh, it, it, and it, they, there again, that challenge came to me. How do I respond to that? I mean, that's only an example. There's many things in life that your your um, friends, family does or does not allow, which that we do or do not. So how do you relate to all that? Uh, it's a, it could be a, a challenge. I'll leave that. Uh, how do you come up with that answer uh, to yourself? Well, teaching respect. And Johnny comes home from school and and um, and he's sitting at the table and, and uh, pretty soon he says that, uh, well, sister, teacher, is it doing something right? And brother teacher's not doing things right either. And and the talk soon escalates into unwholesomeness. And I'll put a big exclamation point there, and that would be that, whoa. Um, <clears throat> I think that children should soon learn that that kind of talk is not acceptable. Now, we don't take up for wrongdoing of a teacher, and I'm not saying that part of it, but uh, the the that type of un, un Wholesomeness, I'll call it that, uh, should not be allowed uh, around the kitchen table. And you know, we as parents, we are under the same rule. We can't sit there and, uh, and condemn a teacher or whatever or circumstance and then expect not expect our children not to do it when they are learning that from ourselves. 
And so we as parents, we are under that same rule. If we as parents want to create disrespect in our children, all we need to do is just join in. And you, you soon reap chaos in regards to that. I believe the... Um, I, I think about... We, we all witness, we all know what it's like uh, when, we, um, when we see disrespect in the home, when we see disrespect in the school, in the church, and at, at jobs. And, and so the question comes to me, is that first learned around the kitchen table, that disrespect? I'm inclined to believe that if respect is shown and taught, around the kitchen table, it, it, it's, it's going to have its positive effects or it's going to have its negative effects at the school, at the church, and so on. And so it's a challenge for us. As I mentioned, training children is excellent around the kitchen table, but God designed it. It also creates a, an avenue for us as parents to be trained also. Did your child ever ask you a question and neither parent knew how to answer the question? Uh, if you're a parent, you probably have experienced that already. And so what do you do? Maybe you sat, you looked at each other, and you, uh, and um, while little Johnny is sitting there with looking at his parents, he may look from one parent to the next parent, and back and forth. He may say, what are you talking about? And when really you're not saying nothing, but you're really communicating through your eyes what you're talking about. And so, now what are you teaching in that respect? Well, one thing that you are teaching is that he cannot come between the two of you. We all have heard stories of how, you know, and I probably tried to do it myself, and I know it came from our children that, you know, you go from one parent to another parent, you know which ones are the weakest, you know which ones to ask the question to, to get what you want out of that. And we all, we all know that. But, no, I think as, as a parent, it's a challenge for us around the kitchen table that we be as one, and that we don't, don't, we don't have a, a take sides in the situation. It can be a challenge, and it's a, a challenge of, of parenting. Well, as, as parents, we may feel that we need to um, get the day-to-day -day stuff done and get out of the way so that we can have, a, I'm thinking more of an adolescent child, more of a, we can have a, a so we can have a real spiritual work um, or talk with, with, our, with our child. And so, you know, we need, so we can, so we can create this uh, air of, um, Excellency, that we can have this special uh, conversation that so that they really understand. I want to talk them, uh, teach them about the, talk to them about the, the birds and the bees and everything else and, and all that. And all this special time. I know I remember my older children, I tried doing that. And I'm not saying it didn't work for any, but I, sometimes I feel, it, well, I just put it this way it didn't always work out so well. But the point of the matter is, those special times that enter our life, that, that, that special outing, it may never happen. It may happen, but it may never happen. But normal routine in life does happen. And so that one sentence answer that you may give to your child may be just enough for the time. Nothing more may be needed. A uh, case in point is when 
when I was 14, I became a Christian, and my dad was not one to talk. He was not a big, big talker necessarily, but but I went out to our car and was waiting to go home, and my dad got in the driver's seat. I was sitting in the back seat, and he uttered about five or six words, and he said, you did the right thing. That's all he said. I knew where he stood. I knew the courage we had. I really didn't need anything else. And I remember those couple words clear back from when I was 14 years old. So in normal routine, those, those small avenues of life that, we, um, that are presented right to us, let's not squander the opportunity. Normal time can be spiritual time. And we oftentimes don't think of it that way, but I believe it, it can be. Well, why is it that a, a, a regret that I hear from older ones who have lost their spouse or whatever, and, and others as well, but you know, what they really miss sometimes is the, 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 the of not being able to eat together uh, because of the circumstances. And I, I don't know why God created that, that we, we like to sit down and eat together. Food has a way of, of assimilating our thoughts. It's just, and, and Jesus done it himself. And, and whether we read um, the Bible around the table or whatever, but, uh, but I think it, as we eat together, um, it, 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 it creates a, a continuity. And I need to say this yet, and that is thinking of eating food at the kitchen table. Uh, suppose that a vehicle pulls up in the driveway and the mother or the dad looks out and sees who it is and the comment is made, well, there comes old Mr. or Mrs. Blabbermouth pulling in the driveway. I wonder what she wants now. And barge of words in regards to that. And then the lady or man comes to the door and you open up the door. Well, hello. I'm so glad to see you. It's such a wonderful thing. You, you know, it's been a long time since I've talked with you and have this wonderful aroma of words. When right before that, the children heard the complete opposite. See, that's, that's teaching. Something that and actually, though, our children, they know what we laugh at. And they know what we don't laugh at. I'm amazed at how, how that works. Well, I'm going to turn yet to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28. And verse... The question comes to me is, is our tables, or should I say are our tables? I'm not sure which is the proper English. Um, my wife says I should have went to English school, but, but is our tables clean? And here in, in verse 8, for all tables are full of vomit and filthiness, so that there is no clean place. And I believe that can be taken as a spiritual emphasis. And however, I've been in places ready where I've been waiting to sit at a meal already, 
and I'm, you literally you had to take your arms like this and push stuff out of the way so you could have room to eat. Uh, that's a little like it was, but but here in verse 8, tables are full of vomit and filth and so that there is no clean place. And then down in verse 10, thinking of the kitchen table and what can be taught there. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. And down in verse 13 also, but the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and be snared and taken. And so the challenge that comes to me is the, this reputation. Now let's not be discouraged in, 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 in teaching because it's just, I mean, I, I admire our first grade teachers of the, the reputation that they have to go to teach these children to learn. But it's precept to precept. I mean, that's the way it is as parents. We just keep on going. Uh, and, and here little, there little, until it, it, it uh, bears uh, fruition. Let's not be as in verse 20. It says, For the bed is shorter than a man can stretch himself on it, and the covering narrower than he can wrap himself in it. Are we coming up short in our teaching at our kitchen tables? Well, the table, um, the call goes out. It's supper time. And what happens? Does it take 15 minutes for the children to come and to everyone is there? I know situations can be different, but supper is on the table. Now, come and eat. If children are left to Dwanda when they feel like coming, I mean, we have to be decent, reasonable in all this. But if they are left to Dwanda and come when they want to, we'll be the same way when they have when Christ. The Holy Spirit speaks to their heart and they gives us Dwanda and Dwanda and come when they really feel like it. It's a challenge for myself, Marie, in that way. Instruction time, the table time. If you eat approximately together a um, certain amount of time, but I'm going to say it's three hours a week in, in kitchen table time. And so that's three hours a week. In a year, that's 150 hours of teaching time, of table time. And in a 10-year period, that's over at least 1,500 hours of teaching time, of table time. You know, can the institutes of our land even compare to that? You know, all this, it's, it's, it's like it's this, uh, this table time. It's just, it's pushed. God designed it. He wants us, he designs desire to eat together. It's like this time is being pushed right into our laps. And, 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 some, and that's a challenge to me. Let's not squander, squander this time that is pushed into us. It's almost like it's forced on us. So what are we doing with this opportunity that, that God created that is just right there. And so let's protect our table time. Let's protect our, our, our teaching time. And, and, and it can be a, a, a fruitful experience as, as we think of that. And so this morning, my, as we think of lessons that we can be learned, um, I think it's extremely important that 
that we be as parents, that we, that we be transparent, that we can be uh, true blue, that we can uh, do those things which are pleasing in his sight. May the Lord bless. Let's kneel for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for lives that you have created. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given to us the desire to eat, that you have given us the desire to eat together, and that you have given us children to nourish and to uh, encourage along life's way. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to use every opportunity that we have in, in training and so that it can be a, a enjoyable time as, as you would presented that to us is thinking about our our kitchen table so we thank you lord that for many blessings of life thank you for our parents who have taught us and who have given an example to us so we thank you for that and help us lord to we might be found faithful i pray for each one here in this congregation the ones in the heat of the battle raising their children may you bless them give them encourage give them the stamina and keep going forward and so we pray that your blessing be upon each one of us here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.